Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. Today we are talking with Jessica Pimentel, who plays Maria Ruiz in Orange is the New Black. You might remember back in season one, she was the one who was pregnant and actually gave birth in prison. We're going to talk with Jessica about what it's like working on one of the most diverse, lady-powered sets in Hollywood. But we're also excited to talk with Jessica about something else she's got going on in her life. So to be clear, that is Jessica singing, right? That is Jessica Pimentel of Orange is the New Black. She is an actress by day, death metal front woman by night. So we're going to definitely be talking about your career in death metal a little bit later on. But first, I want to talk about what so many people know you from, which is your fantastic role on Orange is the New Black, the Netflix show. I've heard that you were a little hesitant when you were first auditioning to play this role. Is that right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I had been uh, an actress for a while, and I had been on a string of callbacks for this other show that had was going on. They called me back and called me back and called me back on this other show. And I kind of envisioned myself already there. Like, I, I, I was so close. I thought I had it, you know. And throughout this process of this other show auditioning me, I had been going in for several roles on Orange. I'd went in for one or two roles. And I was starting to take the description of the characters personally. Mm -hmm. One of the character breakdowns was not very pretty, a little bit fat, not very smart. And Ouch. I was like, oh, yeah, F you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm the first person you think of? Great. You know? Oh, man. So I was starting to not enjoy my this profession. And then I'd gotten called in again to go in for the show. And it was literally the second that I had the phone in my hand, I was calling my manager to ask her for a break for the rest of the year from auditions. I didn't want to go through that up and down anymore. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to live my life like that anymore. I'm a very spiritual person, and it was Mm -hmm. really taking its toll on me. Um, I'd considered becoming a Buddhist nun for a while, (laughs) for I still do. And then I considered um, maybe something less extreme, but working in IT and tech. Still quieter somehow. (laughs) Much quieter. I'd have tasks to do. I think it's fascinating work. You know, it would be stable. Health insurance. Health insurance. A desk, a place <laughs> to sit down sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I was really considering just doing all that, you know, and um, uh, calling my manager to tell her to take a, that I wanted a break. And she said, well, I have one more audition for you for tomorrow. And I'm like, tomorrow? Like, no time to prepare, you know? Yeah. What is it? She's like, oh, well, you remember that computer show about jail, <laughs> which is how we had been referring to it for <laughs> months. 
Because we didn't know all the details, you know? Right. And at this point, Netflix hadn't made a bunch of super popular TV on its own. No, they hadn't. Yeah. So I'm sure everyone was wondering, you know, is this even going to go? These shows that Netflix or Hulu or Amazon are are starting to make back then. Right. I'm like, I'm going to lose sleep tonight for a show on the computer, like a (laughs) webisode where I'm in jail again. Mm Because that's been like the the, uh, recurring theme of my career is like... uh, you know, hooker, hooker, hooker in jail, Lady Macbeth, hooker, hooker, hooker and that kills her kid, Juliet. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm man. like, oh, my God. So let's, you know, let's see how this story goes, you know. And I said, fine. And she, my um, manager said, I think it's at 1220 or something. Can we make it 12 o'clock? I said, because there's a sale at Sephora. It's my birthday month <laughs> and I get a free little thing and makeover. Uh-huh. <laughs> So we moved it to 12 o'clock and we did it and I was just annoyed, you know, things were were running late and I was going to miss my mini facial for my birthday and that was going to be my last audition. I was like so over it and that's exactly what Maria is. She's just over <laughs> she it. She is over it. That is true. Right. So I came in, she's like, you know, line one, like, good morning. What do you mean good morning? <laughs> it was like <laughs> straight up Maria just came out of my face and mm-hmm. it was uh, kind of perfect. And I, I believe she called me the next day and then I started working the end of the week. So you started on Orange is the New Black and you get there and I'm imagining that, like you said, a lot of times the call sheet is, first of all, not got that many women on it in general. And if there are women of color, there's maybe one per cast. And then you show up at Orange and it's a very different scene. We have all the women left. Yeah. If you need one, we got them all. What's it like to be on a set where that's the environment instead of being a token or just being underrepresented? It's amazing. It's amazing. But it reminds me more of it. A lot of us come from the New York theater scene, Mm -hmm. which people don't know about groups like the public theater or Labyrinth, you know, Labyrinth and so many um, wonderful theater companies that have been doing this for a while, mixing colorblind casting, so on and so forth. But to do this on a television set with this vast array of women from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes, all ages. The age diversity, too, must be really unique. That's very rare also. Yeah. We go from baby to elderly on the show. Mm -hmm. Especially my character deals with babies all the time, you know, right. uh, uh, several times throughout her career. And then you have things like the the retirement village, which is all older ladies, which they're very underrepresented in our industry as well. We all are. <laughs> so how does it feel different to be on that set than other sets you've been on? It's a, it's a set that it's really 100% about the work. It's not about vanity. We feel that there is some sort of importance that's greater than ourselves. So that does add some extra weight to the work. And, I mean, not just that, most our, our writers, our crew, our staff is also very female-dominated and dominated by strong female personalities, which is also a breath of fresh air as well. As the seasons have gone along into season five, your character Maria has become much more nuanced. We've learned more about her backstory. This season takes place in just a few days and we won't get too spoilery in case folks haven't finished the season yet what for you was it like to to work in this sort of compressed time frame of a season to have it be sort of more moment to moment as opposed to other seasons have taken place over long spans of time this is all set in a few very intense days everything is life and death at this very moment if you want to even brush your teeth it's life and death so everything is uh, exaggerated, everything is accelerated, everything is intense, everything is extreme. 
So that changes the way we interact with each other, changes the way you try to get what you want. As an actor, you say, the first question you ask is, in this scene, what do I want in this scene? So knowing that the stakes are so high, you have to change the way you approach your acting style and also using the the material that you're given. So much of what is driving your character, Maria, and so many of the women on this show is the relationship between mothers and daughters. I wonder for you if there's anything that you took from your relationship with your own family or other mothers you know to try to sort of infuse this character with that motivation because it's it's such an important part of so many of the women's lives in this show is their relationship with their daughters or their mothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way Maria speaks is a based on my mom. My mom came to this country when she was about 12 years old. So Spanish was her is her first language from a very specific region, from the Dominican Republic. Then came to the United States, and she was around Puerto Ricans and Colombians and Mexicans. So then you're around that new accent, Spanish accent, and then you're learning English, but you're from you're learning it in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn has a, its own unique yeah. accent as well. So my mom, when you speak to her, she kind of goes back and forth depending on who she's speaking with or what she's talking about, who she's talking about. Uh, She'll go back and forth between Spanish and English. She'll go back and forth between accents. Some days she sounds like she just got here yesterday. The other day she sounds like the Queen of England. I don't know. But uh, (laughs) Maria does that a lot. Yeah. Just little nuances. Like if I'm out in Brooklyn and I'm hanging out with my friends and somebody like Paulie walks by, then all of a sudden I start talking like this, you know, because <laughs> it's, it's just how we grew up, you know. So Marie, Maria goes back and forth between this New York, Dominican, Washington Heights and a little bit of Mexican because of her her boyfriend has that Tex-Mex Southern accent a bit. As far as mother and, and daughters are concerned, you know, if they take an example of me and my mom. When I I was a young child, I had this chair that I used to like to lean back on. My mom said, don't lean on it, don't lean back, don't lean back. And eventually one day I leaned back too far, split my head open. Ooh. Yeah, and my mom uh, and the next door neighbor was trying to call an ambulance or I can drive you. And she said, no. And she just grabbed me bloody and ran to the hospital about four blocks to the hospital. She knew that there was no car faster. Wow, you know, she ran was- on foot. Yeah, she ran on foot to the hospital because she knew that that was going to be the fastest way. By the time an ambulance gets here, by the time this guy finds his car, she'll already be there. So sometimes a mom will do something that's completely illogical, but end of the, at the end of the day, she's right. And it seems the most dangerous thing to do, but if your child is in danger, you do whatever it takes. That feels like something Maria would have in mind at the end of this last season of Orange. Mm-hmm. Netflix and the showrunner have said that there'll be at least two more seasons, right? That there'll mm-hmm. be a six and a seven mm-hmm. without maybe too many spoilers that I'm sure you couldn't couldn't give us. Do you feel mm-hmm. like Maria is going to have an interesting season six? Um, <laughs> I'm so scared. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yeah. I, have, I mean, there, she can have nothing but an interesting season six. But then again, we have no idea. We find out the show's... Episode by episode, most of us, they're being written as they're being shot. So we have no definite knowledge of what will happen to any of us on any given day. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. After the break, we talk about the other half of Jessica's career, which I think it's fair to say is significantly louder. You're listening to Nerdette. 
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, Jessica, we're going to listen to a little clip here of the song Atlas. Ooh. So this is another dimension of your career. One that people might be surprised to know is that you are a front woman in a death metal band. Tell us about your band. Uh, my band is uh, Alakine's Gun from Brooklyn, New York. I met this guy, Jeff Martinez, who I now call my brother Jeff. Uh, he was DJing at a place that I worked, and he and uh, Leo Mate were in a band together called Desolate, which I ended up playing bass for down the line. They were doing this new project, and they needed a front woman and bass player or whatever, and approached me. They said, I heard you can sing, and they gave me the material. I loved it. We did a demo. I tried to play bass and sing, but something about this particular project, I decided that I only wanted to front, and I didn't want to play an instrument. And uh, we released two EPs working on an album right now. Basically, all of our lyrics revolve around Tibetan Buddhist studies, philosophy, and some personal experience. They're about meditation, they're about transcendence, they're about um, overcoming obstacles of life. It's such a fascinating combination. I think when people maybe aren't very familiar with death metal or Buddhism, they would peg them as pretty far away from each other in terms of volume, in terms of themes. But for you, they're really tied together. How does that how did those two things first come together for you? Well, uh, I had been part of uh, a New York hardcore scene, so hardcore music, and there was a, a wave called Krishna Consciousness that was kind of a popular theme in a lot of hardcore bands, so that kind of exposed me to the Eastern religions. And I started studying Taoism, and and, uh, and I felt a really good connection with that. But once I got introduced to Buddhism, I felt the closest connection. And for the first time, everything kind of made beautiful, perfect sense to me. Everything was completely logical. Everything was completely sound. Every, every way I examined it, it just it spoke to me, made sense. People just assume that Buddhists are these hippy-dippy, kind of weirdo, hey man, you know, super chill all the time people. But I mean, it's a medicine. It's a, the medicine for your disease, whether the disease is anger or sadness, loneliness, suffering of any kind. But in order to fix the disease, you have to get into the root of the disease. And through meditation, you desa- you examine yourself, you examine your mind. You go into the depths of what is making you angry, what is making you depressed, what is making you unfulfilled. And in order to get to that root, you have to dig in the darkest, dirtiest water. Yeah, You have to go into the dark places of yourself and be completely honest and find the root of the cause, the seed, so to speak, and destroy it. And that's not easy to do. 
And a lot of times we like to point fingers at other people. That person did this to me. That person is a bad person because the way that I feel. That person, that person, but that person is you. If you have, if you have any experience and it makes you feel any emotion, it comes from your side. The emotion comes from your side. That feels like a similar thing to something that my dad always said, which he wasn't a particularly religious man, but he always would tell us to consider the source. Take a breath, take a minute, mm -hmm. think about why somebody else did what they did before you react. That feels like maybe a little bit of what's happening there. Is that always? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're thankful for the people that hurt you because it's through this pain that you're you're turning the pain into the path and the pain that you've gotten from them is a reflection of your mind. So you start to change your mind and then you won't feel that pain anymore. When someone cuts ahead of you, you say, oh, I'm sorry, go right ahead. And you won't even think twice. You've put a lot of work into becoming a very talented, classically trained musician. And I wonder what from your years of playing music in that genre you brought to the music you make now. What do they have in common? Well, it requires intense discipline to be a classical anything. <laughs> yeah. A classical musician, you need to uh, put in your hours, not just on the stage for performance, but rehearsals together as a group if you're in an orchestra, and then rehearsals by yourself so that you don't mess up the group, and then lessons, and you're constantly adjusting, acquiring, learning, improving. Not only that, you have to learn how to work with other people and their methods of working, mm -hmm. and uh, which is perfect uh, environment in, an, in a th on a soundstage in a TV show where every week we get a new director or you have an ensemble group of actors and everyone works differently. And you were just a few years old when you got your first violin, right? Mm-hmm. And when did that transition into you picking up other instruments and then trying other genres of music? Was that something you had to do a little sneakily as a teenager because the classical music was what was being maybe expected of you? That's funny. I did used to hide other instruments under my bed. Really? <laughs> and I got I got punished once because my mom found uh, like a xylophone. I'm like, no, mom, it's for the Christmas show at school. <laughs> Don't be mad at me. Wow. Yeah. So a xylophone. I got even. punished for hiding instruments. It's pretty funny. What other instruments were under there. I guess they'd have to be pretty flat ones. Yeah, there's like clarinets and, you know, <laughs> little xylophone, anything flat. You scandalous child, you, with a clarinet. Uh, the, the guitar and all that stuff came when I was, I wanted to start playing when I started listening to kind of heavy metal music. I just love the power of it, the intensity of it. It's kind of how I felt playing classical music because classical music is powerful and intense. There are pieces that are just as heavy, if not heavier than any heavy metal song I've ever heard. Who introduced you to heavy metal if it wasn't from your mom, it sounds like? I mean, it was kind of a natural progression. I had the radio on and you have top 40 radio and then you hear things that are a little heavier, heavier in air quotes like uh, Bon Jovi or something like that. <laughs> and you say, what's that? And then one day you like... You mess up and you turn the dial a little bit and you turn to classic rock station. Then you hear Jimi Hendrix and you hear The Doors and you hear Black Sabbath. And then it goes on and on, Joan Jett. And then Joan Jett had an album called Blacklist where she did a bunch of covers from the Kinks. And, the, and then I started looking at that and that and that and that. It's like a, like a spiral down. But one day my friend handed me an album and said, you know, I think you'd really like this since you like violins. And it was King Diamond Conspiracy. And King Diamond is Swedish... Danish um, band. When I first put it on, it sounded with started with these beautiful cellos and strings, and it, it was so gorgeous and lovely. 
And he starts singing in this haunting operatic voice. It wasn't this scary death metal voice or screaming like a lot of people think. It was just beautiful operatic voice. But the subject matter was terrifying. It was hard. I mean, I would think I was 12 years old. I couldn't go near my closet for, for like two weeks. I was so scared <laughs> of this story. You wow. know, it's like this mom that kills her daughter and the grandma and there's ghosts and you every night you have to have tea with them. And it was mind blowing, you know, that, that this story was so detailed and intricate and scary and it actually frightened me. And then you had Andy LaRock on guitar who was playing these beautiful Bach-esque solos but then you have dive bombs in the middle and distortion in the middle things that you can't do with a traditional classical acoustic instrument And from that point on, I knew that there was something. And then I got into things like Metallica, Slayer, Merciful Fate. But uh, also not so heavy as well, like The Police and PJ Harvey, Bad Brains. Um, all of that stuff kind of just evolved together. So who gave you the nickname The Crusher? <laughs> that comes from uh, one of my old bands, Everybody Gets Hurt. We all had a superhero name, and mine was a, the, the Crusher is actually a shortening of my original Superhero name is Captain Boy Crusher. Captain Boy Crusher? Captain Boy Crusher. If any guy tried to approach me, my older brother, you know, brother by choice, uh, would say, oh, don't even try. She will crush you. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's a very male-dominated musical genre. So a lot of times I, had, I felt that if I did anything, I had to go above and beyond to get a little recognition from people that were much lesser than, so to speak, playing-wise or or anything-wise. Yeah. So I always set my sights to crush. I wasn't just going to do it. I was going to crush it. Coming up, homework from Jessica Pimentel that will help you get into death metal and live a better life. Okay, Jessica, we're going to ask you for any piece of homework that you would like to give to a Nerdette listener, but I do have one other question for you also, which is to give all the listeners and me some homework. As someone who's not super familiar with death metal as a genre, what should we listen to first? What album or song or artist should I check out to sort of give me an entry point that you think will hook me into death metal? Oh, man. I mean, I, I'm going to pick the one that started it all, King Diamond Conspiracy. Yeah. That's one of my favorite albums. I think it's a perfect album. But if not, we'll do like a Me Metallica Ride the Lightning from back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And what other homework would you like to give to a Nerdette listener? So there's a really simple one that I feel is really good for these uh, dark times, and it's called The, the Practice of Giving and Taking. It, it, it doesn't require anything crazy. It, it's not, you know, super difficult. You just think on, on your in-breath that you're taking the suffering away from other beings. You're helping beings who are in need, who are suffering, who are hurting, confusion, anger. And on the out-breath, you're giving them the things they need, peace, love, 
happiness, joy, food, shelter, understanding. And you can do it also reverse for yourself. You can picture white light coming in, giving you the things you need, be that healing, security, love, compassion, hope, relaxation. Uh, the out-breath is like a black smoke coming out of you, whatever's dark, angry, illness, and that leaves you. So you can do it for yourself or you can do it for other beings. I think it's really helpful. It takes a couple of minutes. You can do it all day long because we breathe all day long. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> so it's really simple, really easy, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and uh, it helps you develop compassion. It helps you release stress. It helps uh, calm your mind. And it uses something as simple as breath to do something very powerful and holy. And you're planting good karmic seeds into your system and into the universe. That is beautiful homework that I hope everyone gives a try. That sounds like something that would make my day a little better. I'm going to try that later today. Mm-hmm. You do that for that person that cuts in front of you in line. Say, <laughs> Breathe in. in. And read that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful talking to you all. I really love that idea of planting good karmic seeds. That's that's very powerful. I knew you'd like this homework. <laughs> this is very Greta Johnson homework, but I do think everyone should try it. I found myself doing it the other day while I was standing in line for a thing. Oh, standing in line. Yeah, that's a good one. And it made that time that is usually, you know, sort of either feels wasted or I would reach for my phone and play a game or you know, go to Twitter or something distract and just sort of yourself. distract myself. Yeah. And instead I did this for a couple of minutes and I feel like it was a nice way to pass the time for sure. Yeah, that sounds real good. Let's all do it, guys. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, with Candice Mattel. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer, and our intern is B. Aldrich. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It's also very helpful if you go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review, like the lovely AgFox00 and Terriel Sell did. Thank you very much, both of you. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.